0: Well, thank you, and we are continuing our series, um, Death to Selfie, and that's a critical piece of being a follower of Christ, is putting to death those selfish things, those things that are kind of our ambition, our kingdom, our world, and uh, following Christ, and following what God is doing, God's kingdom. And uh, it's something that we battle, and something that we struggle with, um, and we probably always will. But there's things in our life to really follow Christ we have to put to death. And one of those things is materialism. And it is a particularly difficult thing to kind of get a grasp on. And it's something that is reflected on over and over and over in Scripture. Is that, you know, uh, whenever we kind of get consumed with the things going on right here around us, our material world, everything that we can see, touch, all of those things that are just, you know, in front of us all the time, Jesus continues to point us back and the scripture points us back to something bigger and deeper and helping us to realize that this is not it. And so really, the reality is is there is a huge battle between uh, focusing on the spiritual things or the material things. It's, It's something that we all deal with. And the scripture talks about how The things that we can see are the temporary things, but the things that we can't see are the eternal things. And so we need to focus on those. But it is our daily battle and our daily thing that this is what we see, touch, feel, and our needs right here, right now are things that are pressing. And so it's difficult. But there is a definite difference between the spiritual and the material. As I was... uh, telling you earlier that um, it's my grandfather passed, and I, um, it was a crazy week, and we rushed off to uh, South Dakota to, to attend the funeral, and uh, I'm going on not very much sleep, and so I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go today, um, so uh, bear with me, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those stark reminders, and it's one of those things that everything all of a sudden gets put on hold And all of the things maybe that you're worried about or focused on stops and you're confronted with this moment in time and you're still busy with your schedules. You're still busy with other things. You still have obligations, but you know, at this point in time, none of that really matters. And that's what happens with a sudden funeral like this. Uh, my grandfather had been, had been sick for the last couple of years. We got a call about a week ago from uh, my dad that said, hey, you know, he just wasn't feeling well. He wasn't eating very much. And um, uh, he was, but nothing out of the ordinary. And then on Sunday evening, um, got the call from my mom that he, uh, he passed away. And he was uh, in the hospital and he just... Um, Actually spent the night overnight in the hospital because he wasn't feeling well. Um, Actually had a good night's sleep and was feeling better. Um, Had dinner on Sunday. Had some soup. That was kind of the first time he really ate. And um, finished his soup and was kind of sitting up in his bed. And my grandmother looked away. And all of a sudden she heard a thud. And he had passed out. And he uh, passed away. And it was that sudden. And it was – and uh, he died. And so, um, you know, as we were traveling there and thinking about it, I wasn't sure exactly how my kids would react. I wasn't sure exactly how I would react. Um, He was very close to us. And um, the moment that kind of hit, and this is, uh, you've probably had maybe those experiences before. The moment that hit is on Thursday evening. We walked into our uh, prayer, the prayer service, and it was um, huge the casket was there and it was open and it was kind of when we walked into the room and I noticed my kids and that was kind of the moment that it hit. And maybe you've had those moments where all of a sudden, wow, the emotion kind of overwhelms you and you feel that. And my kids didn't necessarily, I didn't know how they would respond uh, um, to, to like just witnessing all that and dealing with that. And so they didn't want to go up and see grandpa right away but afterwards after there was some memory shared and and we offered prayers and did some things um they did want to go up and they went up and um this is something that i've experienced many times and i know this but i know my kids hadn't before that when you see a body somebody that you're very close to and you see them laying there something is different right it's different, it's different, it doesn't look the same, it's not, it, it's, it's like a shadow, it's like a picture of what, yes, this person was, but it's not the same, something's different. And I, I knew that, and I didn't even know how to articulate that, but I knew that moment, uh, the first time you experience that with somebody close to you is, it is kinda jarring. It is, it's like, it's, it's an odd moment in time where you see someone that you know, but it's just, it's different, and they don't look the same. And um, uh, as my kids were up there and my mom was up there, I I listened to my mom just kind of whisper to them and said, you know, yeah, that's grandpa, but he doesn't look the same, does he? She was kind of almost reading my mind. I don't know how she did that, but that's what mothers do. She was kind of reading my mind and I was tongue tied and didn't say anything. But she said to my kids, she's like, he just he looks different. And you know why? It's because his spirit isn't with his body right now. And that's an important part of, of of who you are, and this is just his body. But he's gone, and he's with the Lord. And it was in that moment that you, you, you all the things, the material things of this world, get put into perspective in a profound and difficult way, where you realize that. The temporal things, the bodies that we have, every material thing in this earth is very temporary. And I hadn't thought about it necessarily in that specific way or maybe reflected on it recently. But the reality is when I think about materialism, I'm thinking about cars and houses and stuff and bank accounts and all that stuff. But the reality is part of that materialism is this actual flesh and blood that we carry on earth for a season of time. And it is also a temporary thing. And so I want to take a few moments as we kind of reflect on these important big picture things in our life to put to death certain things is is that we have to, at some point in our life, put to death the materialism that controls our culture and society and our world. I believe, and I've said it before, and I don't know if anybody's really... Uh, Agreed with me or listened to me But I believe That the sin of our generation Is materialism And I think different generations Have identifying sins That mark them I think generations ago There was a sin that still marks us There was a part of our culture and our world, which is the horrible racism that was so prevalent in our culture, and it's still something that has an effect on our world and our culture. But there's times and seasons where there's a particular thing that a culture kind of falls into that is a sin that harms them and marks them. And sometimes even people that follow, Christians that follow generations later look back and say, that was, what were they thinking and what were they doing? In my opinion, this isn't scripture, but this is my opinion. I think if there's Christians, generations into the future looking back at us, I think that materialism will be the thing that confuses them. How materialistic we've become. How we've been so consumed with with the things that we have, that we happen to live in the most wealthy and prosperous time in the history of mankind, in the most wealthy and prosperous nation in the history of mankind, and we seem to still not be satisfied and discontent with what we have. And that is so confusing. But it just kind of marks what is a part of our culture, is that we can't get away from this, this material wanting, these material things. And it shows up in thousands of different ways. But, you know, we, we will spend so much money on making sure that we, like, take care of all of these, these material things. And I think part of it is, is it is... Uh, Running away from the spiritual reality and just running into the material reality. We spend billions and billions on healthcare just to make sure that we're okay and we're feeling good. And our cosmetic appearances, so we can take nice good selfies on Facebook and all those things. We spend all that money and in some regard, underneath, it is us kind of trying to deny or push away the reality that we're mortal. And that there will be a day that we die. In some regard, it is pushing away and trying to ignore the fact that wrinkles start to creep in, and our physical bodies have limitations. and in some way we try to cover and mask that. And we try to like think about and cling and hold on to what is material instead of embrace more and more what is spiritual. So we have this battle and it's something that is so much a part of our world and our culture and can be summed up with you know kind of the 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 selfie picture that we post on Facebook or whatever that image and there's people that have dealt with this for generations and in the book of acts there's this interesting story that I want to read for you today in acts chapter 8 um where it kind of sums up this battle Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it says this. This is kind of the season of time where the church is emerging and people are going from um, you know, city to city and proclaiming the message about Jesus Christ. And uh, more people are hearing about it. And so it says this as, as some people come to an area of Samaria. Now, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery. In the city, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was somewhat great. And all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So that sets the stage right there, kind of that picture of arrogance and pride and selfishness. There's somebody that's kind of a big deal. And he's a big deal because he can do some kind of David Copperfield type tricks. Um, And all throughout Scripture, there's different examples of people that have some kind of manifestations of power, but is not godly power. Um, We think back maybe even to the uh, uh, the series we did this summer when the Egyptians and God was uh, helping uh, free the nation of Israel, and there was like kind of these sorcerer people that kind of did these counterfeit type miracles. They try to Im- impersonate God. And this is kind of what he has a following for. And he is highly regarded, somewhat great. So, in verse 11, it says they followed him because had, he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And so when the uh, counterfeit is confronted with the real deal, um, everyone is impressed and starts to follow Jesus, and actually (coughs) Simon himself is impressed and begins to follow uh, Jesus. It says this in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received The Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right. Before God, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you said may happen to me. So Simon is is captivated and is intrigued by the followers of Jesus and particularly, he is amazed at the power they have. And there's incredible signs and miracles that accompany these, these early disciples. And they, they prayed over people, and you could see God's presence upon them. And amazing things took place. Miracles after miracles that followed kind of, kind of Jesus' miracles. And, and really, the, the message of Christ was spreading all over in this area. And Simon was like, wow, this is amazing. And he did what he knew. He offered him money. He's like, this could be very useful. And so um, obviously in this moment, his heart was in the wrong place. And he, in some regard, he was trying to grasp and capture the spiritual with the material. And um, you heard the words um, that Peter said in response. Now, I'd like to, and I'd always thought of that, you know, Simon at this point saw the error of his ways and moved on. And kind of this scripture, it says, you know, he asked for their prayers and things like that. But actually, church history, and this is not, this is not the Bible, but this is kind of accounts of the early church, seem to indicate that Simon, after this, kind of had an alternate competing church that competed against the um, apostles at that time. And so he had kind of a branch off. He, maybe he saw this and he's like, this is powerful, I'd like to be a part of it. But it seems as though after this encounter, he went off on his own and tried to kind of like compete against the apostles and uh, formed his own branch of spirituality and his own kind of church at this point in time. So he, it seems like, never really fully gave his heart to God, and he never learned the lesson that materialism, you know, was not the answer. He always thought that, you know, he could capture it. He could possess it. He could possess the power of God. Like, own it. And don't we do this so many times? Lots of things in our life. We think, I can own it. And we speak about lots of things in our life in these, this regard, that I own my own home." Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thing? If you, the first time you went and you, you bought your home and you're, if you uh, are a homeowner and you're like, "I own my own home. I've arrived." Or "I own this particular possession." This is like really important and special to me. I own it. And there is, there's just this constant thing that we want to possess. We want to tangibly own something. We want something that we can hold and know and say this is ours and this will give us comfort and this will give us peace. There may be even moments in time in your life where you were depressed or sad so you went out and bought something, right? Because now, oh, at least I own something. It feels good. For me, it's all donuts and uh, cinnamon rolls. You see, today at church, um, I'm still grieving the loss of my grandfather. So we have lots of extra snacks today. Um, and part of that is, is I get to take it home at the end. Um, but like, we do these things to like, bring kind of this material comfort and try to possess something, try to control something. But the reality is, is it's, it's not real. And it doesn't last. And it's only temporary. And Simon didn't get it. And it seems as though he never did. That he was controlled by this idea that he wanted to possess, he wanted to own, he wanted to control. And he missed the bigger thing that was going on. The battle and the spiritual battle for his soul. And so... Um, so this is this is kind of the struggle that we all deal with this um, at the funeral service for my grandfather, uh, the pastor uh, read this portion of scripture, and at that moment it just really it hit me and he said something that uh, helped me figure this out in a, in a deeper way. It said in second, in second Corinthians five it says this. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and a home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're home in the body or away from it. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. What an incredible picture And these are things that are so challenging. These are concepts that are so hard to grasp and and, and take hold of because we're so material and we live in such a material world. But the picture that Paul gives us here is he says, your body is just a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. It's a place that, you know, a tent that you like— Put up in the backyard for a night's stay, for a little bit of shelter, for a small moment in time, but like eventually, that is not your eternal dwelling, and that is not what you are. It is just a shadow, just a picture, just a material thing in a way that will also pass. And there's something more, though there's something more than just this temporary dwelling and this temporary house and this material thing that we have as our body is that there is something beyond and so as it as it says here um every kind of almost everything if you think about it is borrowed we want to possess and we want to think at least That we own our own bodies. But even that is borrowed. Even that is temporary. Even that is just part of this earth that we live in right now. And the scripture tells us that there will be a day that it all passes away. And it will all be gone. From dust to dust. And it's gone. And so... What do we, how do we deal with these just incredibly difficult realities? Is it, I think that there's so many things that we got to do, is there's so many things that we need to hold on to loosely. We need to, we need to just kind of, we, we need to let go of, we need to put to death. We need to not stress out so much over these things that are temporary that Paul's trying to remind us of, our possessions, all of our possessions, our things, things our home that we love that we have so many memories of we have so many of those like there's so many emotions that are tied up to these things maybe it's like maybe it also even represents all the work that you did to get to that moment in time but those things we need to hold on to loosely we need to hold on to them loosely and say that's that's not it that's not what this is all about our i was thinking about our collections anybody have a collection of things you know how interesting that is? I was, when I was 10 years old, I asked you at the beginning of the service before we started, I said, what are the things that were your prized possessions? When I was 10 year old, years old, my prized possession was my baseball card collection. Okay, It's my baseball card collection. In some way, when I owned a Jose Canseco baseball card, I possessed a little bit of Jose Canseco. Okay, that's that's what I thought when I was 10 years old. That was my favorite baseball player. He was uh, didn't know he was uh, full of steroids and uh, all those things that we came to learn later. But at that point in time, somehow, some way through that magical baseball card, I was a little bit better of a power hitter in my baseball team. But but like it was great. I had this collection and I had all these cards and I had all these players and I had all of them. And it was like, do you have a... Ricky Henderson, because I do, and we, you possessed it, and it was like awesome, and important, and, and, and so valuable to us, and you know what, I've come to realize, it's cardboard, and it's sat in a box now, for the last 15 years in my basement, and it's probably like collecting mold, um, and it's gonna cause me to have the, the mold in my lungs or something like that, I don't know, but... This is, this is what it is now in my life, is it's something in a box. And it's amazing how that shifts over time and over the years. But sometimes we have our collection of things that are so important to us that we like put aside and say, that is like so valuable and important, and that is like, that, that means something. Well, I understand the sentimentality of it. I don't want to ruin all of that. But we need to hold loosely to that. We do. Our money. Something that is a very emotional topic, a very personal topic, and really cuts to the heart of this battle between spirituality and materialism is our money, our jobs, our livelihood, the things that like keep us safe and secure. Over and over in scripture. And this is really hard for us to possess. And this is why I I said this is the great sin of our generation. And whenever I preach about things like this. I think that people think it's a little much. But all of those things will not save you. And it's not your savior. And you stress over it. And you think about it. And you work 40 plus hours a week for it. And you scrimp and you save. And you do all these things to protect yourself. But ultimately... If your hope is found there, that's a materialistic view of the world. And it's a problem. And that's why, you know, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Not those things. And I was thinking about this week, is I have, I have some collections, I have possessions that are close to me. Of course, money is something I think about a lot. But... Um, How's it going? Basketball's that way. (laughs) And outside that way. It's a wonderful part of sharing a space. I wasn't trying to be abrupt, but this is going to be live on the podcast now for all of eternity. (laughs) Us giving directions to people with basketball. So uh, you know what? That's part of uh, sharing a space. So I don't even remember what I was talking about, but um, we'll get back to it. We have to hold all of these things lightly. All of these things, we have to put them in proper perspective and not hold on to them too tightly. There are some other things that we need to hold on to tightly. And, you know, if you think about collections and gathering, like the final piece of a collection, even baseball cards and those things, sometimes... Like to complete that collection, we'll go to great lengths and spend money and search out to finish the collection out and to make it perfect. But I was just wondering and thinking about how how much time and effort do we put to collecting and gathering and embracing more and more Bible verses that we can have memorized to comfort our hearts? Collections of those stories or moments in time where God's spirit was close to us. Those, those kind of collections of those, those, those memories of serving God or doing other things. There are other things that we need to hold on to tightly. And those are our relationships. And I know sometimes we attach the two together. Because we are material people in a material world. But we attach like a possession to a relationship. But the reality is, it's those relationships and those memories that really matter more than anything else. It's it's that person, and more than even their physical body, it's their spirit and their standing with God that is what matters. Those relationships are something that we should hold on to tightly. We should hold on to tightly God's word. Because... When heaven and earth pass away, God's word will still be there. So the scripture talks about that there will be a day where all of this that we see and know right here is gone. But God's words and promises will endure. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be a continuation of existence. But those words will continue. And those words and promises we can hold on to tightly and securely and be uh, at peace with something beyond the material. We should hold on to tightly God's spirit and God's presence and should seek after that with all of our heart and our might and not try to pay money for it. And we should seek God and pray for God and search after God and say, God, fill me with your presence and your spirit. Help me to understand and nourish my soul. So there's things that we should hold on to loosely. There's things that we should hold on to tightly. And there's things that I think we all have to do in order to really kind of break the addiction to materialism that we all probably have in one way or another. Is a couple of things, just quickly, is by giving. You can break your addiction to to money by being generous and giving it away. Give to other people when they're in need. Don't like focus so much on exactly what you're going to have in the future. Be wise with your money, and the scripture tells us about that. But be generous and give and realize what it is. Something that can help us materially and temporally, but is not the end all and not the goal. We can put to death the materialism by sacri- sacrificing in our life. By serving other people. By doing things sacrificially. We can put to death materialism with a practice that is, that is so foreign to our ears because of the culture that we live in by fasting. And fasting is something that is a practice that is continual in scripture and talked about regularly. But, f- but very infrequently practiced in modern day Christianity. Where people stop And withdraw from things for a season of time to make sure that their priorities are right, namely food. And say, I won't even eat for a while because I need to make sure my soul is right with God. If you are addicted to technology, fast from technology. If you, are, if you are addicted to other things that consume your mind and your time and all of this stuff and it's this material possession that is overwhelming you, then fast from that. And the most basic of those things is food. And that's what kind of where fasting derives is that our material body and taking care of the basic needs of our material body um, in scripture, it says, is not the most important thing all the time. That man does not live on bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. Talk about crazy uh, words, but is exactly what the scripture tells us that in order for us to get our mind around something more than the material, sometimes we have to go to drastic measures and fast for seasons of time. I don't know what it is in your life, but really, this is something that we all. We'll deal with and struggle with in this material world that we live in. And there's things that we need to do to put to death those material things. Um, On Thursday evening after the uh, prayer service, uh, my dad was there and we were – he grabbed me and my kids and he said, let's go to grandpa's shop. My grandpa was a very skilled carpenter, very skilled mechanic. Uh, He could fix almost anything, and uh, he had an incredible shop, incredible shop where he had um, everything organized, like, in an incredible – all of his tools lined up, and he'd build things to, like, put his tools in place. He had drawers of every kind of, um, like – Uh, hardware you could possibly imagine if you needed a certain size of screw or nail he had a drawer for it and it was labeled and it was there and it was it it was a lot of fun i have pictures for you but it's not working right now but we went to grandpa's shop and my dad said to the kids he said you know um you can pick out whatever you want from grandpa's shop one of his tools and it was it was kind of eerie going in and just looking around and seeing these tools that probably weren't going to be moved much anymore until they're packed up and put away somewhere and uh they're all lined up and he still had kind of almost some projects even out uh my grandma had told me as we were driving to the um uh to the cemetery that grandpa actually was the last person to mow the cemetery um the week prior and so he uh that was the last time that he would mow it even though he mowed it regularly for probably about 50 years and, you know, it's just kind of sad in this moment as we're walking through all this stuff and looking at it and thinking about all the projects Grandpa did. He built two houses. He built his shop. He actually, the church there in town burnt down and he helped build the church. He built the, uh, the cross that was there um, for, at the service. He built the podium that the preacher preached from. And so there was all these symbols that were pretty, pretty emotional as we were thinking about it. And so we walked through and, my son picked out a cool old hammer from grandpa. Uh, my, my nephew picked out a little pocket knife that had his name on it. It said Harlan Hedick on it. And my daughter picked out a little, little old oil can that he probably did uh, uh, a bunch of work on in all kinds of different places. And we, we walked through and picked out those things and, um, and uh, took off. And those things were important. You know, because at that moment, it represented something. But the reality is, is that that hammer is a tool that will never be used as well as Grandpa used it when he was in his heyday. And it's things that are um, uh, mementos, those possessions. But really what matters is it's because of who Grandpa was and what he did with his life. That's what made it meaningful. And so don't confuse the two. This is a temptation that we face. We confuse the two sometimes and we think that the the value is in an old hammer or the value is in like you know something that is used for a season of time. No it's not. The value is in the acts of service over the years to serve his community and his family and things like that that made that meaningful. And made it valuable. Um, there was a story that was told, and I've maybe even told it here before about grandpa that kind of summed it up and how he dealt with these things. Is that there was probably about 20 years ago, there was an old school bus that the local school retired because they didn't find it safe enough to, for kids to ride in it. And so my grandpa decided to pack it up with as many tools and supplies as he could find around the area and drive it from Tolstoy, South Dakota to Honduras. So my grandpa, who was in his 60s, I think, at the time, drove a school bus through Mexico, through the United States, through Mexico— uh, There's stories about him getting lost somewhere in Mexico City in a school bus with him and grandma, just him and grandma, drove through Guatemala, through the mountains of Guatemala to Honduras to deliver a school bus that was full of supplies for people that they had met on their 20-plus mission trips to Honduras. And they were like, when we heard about it, we were like, Grandpa, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I mean, he's an old guy driving a school bus. You know, like, this doesn't even make any sense. How are you going to pass customs or whatever? He's like, well, you know, they need it. So might as well drive it down there. And that was the thought. It was those things, but don't get the two confused. It was, it's something else that was going on that is deeper and more important. It's not the the delivery system. It's not the body. It's not the material things. It's something deeper and something more that lasts beyond the bus, the hammer, or anything else. So spiritual things that last forever, that are eternal. None of the rest of it matters. So resist the temptation, resist the struggle that we all have, And let go of some of those things that we sometimes hold tightly to and embrace those things that sometimes we don't think about enough. Will you pray with me? we pray that we would put to death the materialism that runs so rampant in our lives and we would remember what's most important God I thank you for the people that have gone before me and the lessons that I continue to learn God help us to, to realize there's so much more to this life than what we consume our mind with So, God, forgive us for our materialism. Forgive us for wanting to possess everything and own it like it's ours, like we created it. You created the world. You created us. This is yours. And it's just for a moment in time that we live on this earth. It's just for a moment in time that we possess these things that we think are so important. But it's for eternity, God, that we have fellowship with our Creator. So, God, forgive us. Help us instead to turn to you, repent of our sins, and embrace our relationship with you, your word, your promises, your spirit. I invite you just to confess your sins to God and maybe think about those areas in your life where you've replaced the spiritual with the material. Maybe the times where you've confused the two. And just ask God to help you. He knows the things that we need. He created this earth, these material things that we have for our benefit and to take care of us. But he wants to remind us that that's not it. And so thank God for the things that you have. Thank God for the wonderful gifts he's given. But don't hold too tightly to those. And miss the creator, the giver of life. God, hear our prayers. Forgive our sins. Help us to be generous people. We pray all these things in your name.